Welcome to the sponsorship workshop. My name is April. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator. Hi. Um, just a reminder to turn off cell phones and other uh, noisemakers. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Um, this session is being taped to protect our anonymity. No photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, two hatters, those are members affiliated with uh, other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in OA only. There is an Ask It basket that I'll be passing around and um, you may write down a question for the panelists and put it in the basket and keep it going around and after their um, presentations we'll be um, pulling the questions out of the basket for them to answer. If there is any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures using a video camera or using our full names. So, um, the topic for this session is sponsorship, and our first speaker, we have three panelists. Our first speaker is Bill, followed by Deirdre, followed by Jerry. So, um, Bill, are you ready? Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a compulsive overeater. And first of all, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my uh, recovery program. Um, I've been in OA for uh, 10 years now. In fact, it's uh, 10 years this month. Um, when I came in, I wasn't at my highest weight. My highest weight was like 300, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe a little more. Uh, of course, I didn't weigh at that time. Um, when I came in, I was down to um, about 260, I guess, at that time. Um, and I remember um, this person in... Uh, my friend in AA told me to, you know, go to uh, not just one meeting, but go to several meetings before you check it out thoroughly and be sure to get a sponsor. So that stuck in my mind. And, of course, right away I knew I was in the right place when they were telling my story. Um, and so um, I did just that. The first year I got a sponsor. And um, I worked steps. I started working the steps. I uh, had a food plan. I stuck with that. And I had a, a lot of success. For the first, the first year, I think I lost about 40 pounds that first year. Then uh, things changed. I got a girlfriend who was not in the program. And... Uh, ended up spending, you know, that time with her, and my program suffered. I still kept going to meetings, but I didn't put the effort in. 
And so for that next year or year and a half, uh, I relapsed. I started putting the weight back on. I didn't put it all back on, but I did put on about 30 of those pounds. Okay. And then we broke up and, and then something kicked in. Uh, and I decided that, uh, I needed to step up my program and start calling in my food. I didn't want to call in my food uh, to my sponsor, but um, once I did that, it, it worked for me. And then from that point on, um, month after month, I slowly lost a couple pounds here, a couple pounds there, and um, within about a year, year and a half, I was down to my current weight, which I've been at for now like six years so anyhow uh, the program works as far as sponsorship goes um, sponsorship is essential to everybody's program I mean uh, and the thing is with our group um, there's just not enough sponsors everybody seems to be full you, you, uh, and I guess that's that way everywhere um, and and it used to be that uh, uh, you announce if you're a sponsor, but they would announce and then they'd say, I'm not available. Well, that doesn't get it, doesn't do any good. Um, so, anyway, it's being a sponsor is extremely rewarding. Um, you know, I get a lot more out of it, I believe, than the sponsees. It just makes me feel good. Um, Anyway, you can to be a to be a sponsor. You only have to share to your level of recovery. Um, like I say, let's see. Oh, <laughs> and so my sponsor told me that uh, you know I could become a sponsor. Well, I just really didn't feel that I was competent enough, you know, that, uh, that I'm certainly not an expert. And, and uh, but I gave it a shot, you know. Um, my sponsor gets me to do things that I really don't want to do, like this today. <laughs> Here I am. And you can tell I am fearful. <laughs> but uh, I always feel better afterwards. <laughs> um, so anyway, once I started... Um, you know, I read the pamphlets and I, uh, you know, I started just talking with with my sponsee and and uh, started to get comfortable and going through the steps. Uh, and I, you know, progressively got better at it and, and more confident as all as I went. Um, So I, I really enjoy um, also uh, meeting with my sponsor. Um, I look forward to it. If that person is doesn't make it or you know cancel or whatever, uh, you know I'm really disappointed. Uh, and um, you know I actually enjoy going through the steps. I've been through the steps three times now, and uh, this last time. I did the uh, how, and there's like 176 questions, 
And, uh, you know, most people are real fearful about, you know, doing the fourth step. And I really enjoyed it. And the reason I enjoyed it is that, uh, you know, I could see the progress, how far I've come, you know. And there's so many things. I don't do that anymore, you know. And uh, it's the same way when I work with a sponsee. You know, uh, like I say, I'm a completely different person than I was when I came into the program. Just amazing. And as far as, as far as being a, a sponsor, I think the most important thing is listening. And like I said, I've learned that from my sponsor. Um, and then, of course, right along with that is uh, not giving advice unless you're asked. And by the way, that works real well with my uh, teenage daughter too. <laughs> she certainly doesn't want my advice. <laughs> And then, of course, uh, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And um, I like to, oh, you know, uh, sponsees are always afraid of the fourth step and all. So uh, I try and loosen them up by telling them some of the terrible things that I did <laughs> when I was younger, you know. And, and you know, by repeating them over, it, it becomes old hat and uh, making amends and, and those things lose their power after a while. So uh, that usually gets, gets their attention. <laughs> and I've had three different sponsors. And the first two of them moved to Southern California. I don't know what I did, but they, they both moved to Southern California. But uh, they... Each one of them came at it from a different aspect. Uh, the first person, um, he used to have me, if I had something going on, he'd have me pray about it. And so, and not only pray about it, but act as if, you know. And I did that, and it worked. <laughs> it was really, you know, amazing. So I used that. And um, the second sponsor I had um, was a woman. And Whenever anything came up, she'd always say, write about it, write about it. And so I would write about it, and it would, you know, it would come out in the writing. Uh, and like I say, it was just amazing. So, she, of course, she's no longer my sponsor, but when anything comes up, I write about it. <laughs> and my third sponsor, my current sponsor, who's sticking with me now, <laughs> um, that person is an extremely good listener. And uh, and he doesn't give advice uh, unless I ask for it. And uh, like I say, he shares experience, strength, and hope. And uh, and I think that's a very important part of the program. Oh, yeah, sponsoring keeps me honest. Uh, of course, being a sponsor, you have to set example for uh, your sponsees. So um, it's a great way to uh, be involved in the program. Uh, and then you know, I can keep my abstinence if uh, it's also a form of service. So um, I'm both a uh, step sponsor and a food sponsor. And um, as far as 
food sponsoring goes, I encourage people to call in their food. Um, and I have them make up their own food plans because everybody has their own uh, food plan. And, you know, we know, we all know what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating. And, um, and myself, um, my food plan has, has evolved over the years. You know, first I dropped off uh, greasy fried foods. And then uh, sugar is my main drug of, of choice. And it's gotten so, you know, there's all these sweet things around work and they don't attract me anymore. It's just really amazing. Um, and then more recently, uh, I dropped off the uh, carbohydrates. And, you know, I don't know where all this came from. God just took over. And, and then most recently, um, it's been the flour and the dairy. Uh, I don't do it perfectly, but uh, it seems to be working. <laughs> Oh, and when a sponsee has a, uh, a problem that's beyond my scope, um, I find it useful sometimes to recommend other uh, people in the program or um, perhaps maybe another 12-step program. And if it's uh, maybe even a therapist. I mean, I, I've been in therapy for number of years and it's really paid off uh, huge benefits so and then when a sponsee relapses um, I just encourage them to get back on the horse and and go again I've had uh, I've had a couple of sponsees that have you know left the program after having quite a bit of success and um, I still I stay in touch with them try and encourage them to come back from time to time it happens you know and um, I don't blame myself for it um, also I had a sponsee that died and. Uh, that was really sad. This person was like 600 pounds, and um, and it just shows that uh, you know this is a deadly disease, and it, it, it lingered on for years. You know, he's dead ridden, and and I used to go over there and uh, take him out for a walk, and he could only go a short ways, and. Uh, it was really a sad situation, um, but I've also had success too. Uh, my current, one of my current sponsees, has lost uh, 70 pounds recently, and uh, I attribute that to his willingness. And um, he always does what I say, you know. So I think that's great. <laughs> but it's it works for him, you know. So anyway, plus he thinks I'm the greatest. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
anyhow, I just wanted to say that uh, you know I don't have all the answers. Use all the tools. Uh, I'm an avid supporter of, oh, I know what I was going to say, is this is interesting. Uh, when I first came into the program, uh, at the first meeting, uh, and of course I was really nervous and, and everything, and then this uh, person approached me and he said, you know, you ought to go to five meetings a week. And you know, and, and do this and do that. And I looked at him and thinking, this, I got a life, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, interestingly enough, uh, since I've been in recovery, actually, um, I go to two to three meetings a week. I sponsor. I meet with my sponsor. Uh, we do an OA walk, and uh, end up uh, doing the OA program. Uh, actually six days a week <laughs> and to boot uh, this person is my sponsor today <laughs> so uh, anyhow it works if you work it thank you hi my name is Deirdre and I'm a compulsive overeater um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself so you know where I'm coming from. Um, I have been in program for three and a half years. I am 41, been married for 20 years, and I have a 13-year-old child. Um, I have been overweight my whole life, uh, from the age of seven um, until I came into program when I was 38. And um, I've been maintaining a 65-pound weight loss for the last two and a half years, um, and it's amazing. <laughs> It's, you know, completely outside my experience. You know, this is uh, the body I stand in. I still am getting used to it. You know, it feels like an anomaly. You know, like this is somebody else's experience and not mine because I was the fat kid, um, you know, my entire life. Um, I was fat in my 20s. I mean, I say this sometimes. Fat in my 20s, fat in my 30s. You know, I just, there was never any great time like I wish I looked like I did then or wish I felt like I did then. Um, I haven't weighed this since I was 16. So that that's you know that's the um, that's the bottom line. Um, the the most amazing thing though about OA in my experience in OA is not so much the weight loss though, but how I feel and how I'm able to show up for life and that I can think more clearly. I mean, I really just had no idea what the depth of the problem was until I got into the solution, and then it's only in retrospect looking back I can see. The confusion, the fuzzy thinking, the, you know, just the obsession with food and with what I was going to eat, when I was going to eat it, how come they get to eat that? Uh, I already had a little, you know, just all that was weighed about 700 pounds in my head. Um, and, I, and I was a yo-yo uh, dieter. Um, so always up, always going up or down, watching what I was eating, or I had given up one of the two. There was no steady state, no maintenance, no peace at all. Um, and thankfully, um, by God's grace, that's not my experience for today. Um, for today, I feel free of that compulsion. I don't have those cravings. So that's kind of where I come from. I have no history of anorexia or bulimia. I'm just a garden variety overeater. Um, and I, like I said, I've been in program for three and a half years. I've been a sponsor for uh, almost three years. 
and I um, work the program in a particular way, and that really informs how I sponsor. Um, I, I want to start though by saying that it's a tremendous privilege to sponsor. It, it um, at least once a week, I feel like you know sometimes daily, like I'm just leveled. You know, there's something so amazing about having a sponsee um, talk to me and share their program and share their recovery. You know, it's just, it really, um, it's, I get so much, as, as was already said, I get so much more out of sponsoring than, than I feel like I possibly give. Um, so for those of you who maybe aren't sponsoring, who feel like it's a little intimidating, um, I recently had a sponsee who, who got to her, the point where she was ready to sponsor, and she was petrified, and I was so excited for her because I knew what was on the other side of that fear. And so I, I just want to offer some hope and encouragement, and, you know, we don't do this alone. I have a sponsor, and um, so I am passing on what I've learned. Um, as I mentioned, I work a pretty structured program. I, um, for me, have had to go to any length to arrest my compulsion. And so that's what I have to offer. That's my experience, strength and hope. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I ask of sponsees. Uh, talk about sort of the centerpiece of, of my sponsorship, which is a daily phone call uh, with each sponsee, how I view my role, and then I'll just kind of wrap up with some of the other things that I've learned along the way in the last um, couple of years. So when I work with a sponsee, we start out with um, putting together a committed food plan. So I don't eat any, uh, I work a program which is known as a 90-day format, which you might be familiar with, but I don't eat any refined carbohydrates. I eat plenty of carbohydrates, just not flour, um, you know, pasta, things that are, I don't eat anything that's refined. I don't eat any sugar, and I don't eat any artificial sweeteners. So I work with a sponsee with those guidelines. I also weigh and measure the food that I eat because I, my mind starts to trip when I get sort of unchecked volume. When it's up to me, this is what I want to eat, you know. So, so that's what I have to share with the sponsee. This is the length that I've needed to go to to rest my compulsion and have some peace of mind. So everybody's different. I have, you know, tall sponsees. I have sponsees who have been Orthodox Jewish. They have certain religious obligations and, and restrictions, fasting, different foods that are traditional. You know, so within the you know, sort of the, the parameters of, of the food plan, we're able to work out something so that um, this is a, a lifestyle, you know, it's not a diet. Um, so we've got a, a committed food plan that we work out. I also encourage them to work all the tools every day with the exception of meetings. Um, I suggest that they go to three meetings a week and really immerse themselves in the program. Um, I also ask my sponsors, I ask them to do all the things that I do so I don't ask them to do anything that I don't do every day. Um, I speak to three people every day in OA. And uh, for me, that means I make contact, not just that I leave a message. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. It reminds me every day that I am a compulsive reader. And I, left to my own devices, again, would just sort of be adding the volume um, back into my food plan. So I'm able to connect with somebody. I'm able to be of service in that way, talk, how's it going. It can be a brief phone call. How's it going? Great. Great, I'm doing well, too. Okay, goodbye. You know, so, um, you know, but the point is that I've made some contact with somebody, and my sponsors do the same thing. Um, writing every day, having quiet time every day. Quiet time could be five minutes. But it's just the act of carving aside, you know, just maybe five minutes where they sit in contemplation 
they pray and meditate. They're not doing a laundry list or checking, you know, a work email. It's it's just five minutes minimum, you know, that they're sort of away from the, the hubbub and they can connect with their higher power. Um, and then reading um, two pages of the big book every night or every day, whatever whatever works for them. So I really encourage them to, you know, begin to develop a fellowship and to be, begin to, you know, get some legs in the program. Um, and um, I also encourage them to get involved in service. And somebody who comes in with, I heard this recently, with, you know, five days of abstinence has five days worth of experience to offer somebody who who has no experience in that. Um, so it, it's, for me, I feel like leading up to sponsorship, there are, it, it's not just you jump off a cliff. There are a lot of building blocks um, where you begin to take advantage of the resources that are in the program. And so I really encourage people to do that. Um, when a sponsee has a committed food plan, I ask um, her to call if she needs to make any changes. So it's just sort of a way of running that, you know, they're thinking through another filter. Um, and uh, the other thing I ask is that a sponsee weigh no more than once a month. Because um, I can be pretty petrified about, whoa, you know, I've got up, you know, one pound. Um, you know, or or down, you know, a pound or, or whatnot. And so that just sort of, it, it establishes the sense that, hey, we're not going anywhere in a hurry. You know, it, it, somebody may have a lot of weight to lose. It, to me, that's sort of irrelevant. You know, if this is a one-day-at-a-time program. Ultimately, that's going to take care of itself. Um, so there's no need to hop on three times a day to check whether, you know, we gained weight between lunch and dinner. Um, and so that's, that's sort of a form of surrender. Um, I work with a sponsee with their doctor, if appropriate, their nutritionist, to come up with a healthy weight range. And the way that that works is once that range has been established, if over the course of a couple of months, you know, they're sort of trending down, then that means we need to add a little bit more food. If they're sort of heading up, then we need to make some small adjustments. So that gives, for me, that gives me the freedom to not worry about it. I eat my committed food. I live my life. And if I'm going up or down, my, it's my sponsor's problem. Um, and so that's the same with my sponsees. And, and so we, we kind of work that out. Again, nothing in a hurry. Um, and sometimes I'll make a change of, you know, a half an ounce of something. And a sponsor will say, well, what kind of good is that going to do? And I said, well, over a year, a lot. You know, there's, again, we're not going anywhere in a hurry. That, that's one of the messages I over and over. That, you know, we're not panicking. Um, you know, I spent my life panicking um, for a variety of different things, and I don't need to do that about my weight any longer. Um, so I'm a perfect sponsor for somebody who needs to go to the lengths that I have needed to go to. And I know, I say that knowing full well that a lot of people don't need to go to those lengths. There's a lot of structure in my program. I sort of think of them as like guardrails. And when I start to kind of get a little bit over here, I have something kind of bump up against. For me, having way too much freedom is, has been a problem. And so, you know, my first conversation with a potential sponsee is, this is what I do. Um, do you want to do that? If not, no problem. You know, it's, it's really just what I have to offer. So I set aside 15 minutes every day for each sponsee that I sponsor. And in that call, the, um, you know, the, the, the topic is really up to them. Uh, they'll commit their food generally via email to me. That sort of um, eliminates a lot of the discussion on the phone, and we can really get down to 
what might be the reasons that they that they might need to pick up today? You know, I got I've got a job interview. I'm freaking out. You know, I don't have my lunch with me. Okay, again, we sort of slow everything down and just work through. Some days the calls are, hey, I'm having a great day. Okay, goodbye. You know, so it's really I leave that up to my sponsees um, to decide how they want to use that time. I show up on time. I expect them to show up on time. I've learned some boundaries in this program for myself, and so I share them in that way with sponsees. Um, but I'm flexible. If we need to make a change because there's a, an event or something, then you know, then we make that change. Um, the um, uh, and then to the extent possible, we talk on landlines. You know, occasionally we'll talk on the cell phone. That's just life. But I really want to communicate to them that I've got that time available, that, that I'm a resource. They can depend on me. And that helps me and enriches my program because it holds me accountable. And I, I literally will arrange the carpooling for my son to make sure that I'm not driving in the car with him in the back seat while I'm trying to listen to a sponsor. You know, talk about something that could be very personal. Um, my role, I really... I like I like what I heard earlier, and, and what I what I tend to say is I share my experience, strength, and hope. I don't share advice. I'm not somebody's higher power. Um, they have their own, and that's not my role. I don't know what's best for them, so I try to come from a place of humility. And gee, you know this that reminds me of the, an experience that I had, and then they're free to decide whether there's anything in that experience that I'm sharing that's a you know if they want to take some of it, leave some of it. Um, I, I also point out growth that I see because I think a lot of us are hard on ourselves and we maybe don't see the big picture. Um, I'll remind us, Fonsi, you know, what things were like in the very beginning or our first phone call. Um, and, you know, that, that'll help them see the growth. I also try and just keep, you know, my ear to the ground and see patterns. You know, I, I notice that our phone calls are really clipped or I notice that you're calling late, you know, for the last couple of weeks or, you know, I notice that you're talking a lot about this or that, and I'll just I'll just notice things, and um, and then they're free to pick that up as a topic of conversation if they want to. Um, so I sort of listen below the surface and observe patterns. I protect their anonymity. I don't share who they are. I don't share who my sponsor is, um, so that people feel that they can say things to me and they don't. You know, nobody knows who they are. Um, that's important to me. I also do some staff work with sponsees. Generally, in the very beginning, because of the structured way I work my program, there's a lot of questions about, what, are you kidding? we got to weigh the food, or how am I going to do this? Or there are a lot of logistical issues. And then once that sort of settles down, which it does, um, then we start to get into some staff work. Often people will do staff work in a group, um, but sometimes I'll begin staff work with, with a new sponsee. And I'll just pick up the OA 12 and 12, and we'll just read it together. And I might set aside a half an hour once a week for us to do that. Um, and then we'll pick up the, the big book and start to read the doctor's opinion, et cetera. Um, so what I get out of sponsorship, I could not possibly begin to describe, you know, in this short time. But um, just a couple things I've, I've learned for myself. I only sponsor women. And I have figured out through trial and error how many sponsees, it, you know, it's comfortable for me to sponsor. You know, I'm making a commitment to them to show up. Um, and we do 15 minutes a day for quite some time until it seems like, you know, they're kind of on an even keel. I have a sponsee now who's been abstinent for maybe nine months, and uh, so we, we talk six, six times a week. Um, I talk to my sponsor at this point three times a week, but I still email her my food every single day. 
Um, there's somebody out in the universe who knows what's put, you know, what I'm putting in my mouth. Um, I've learned some better boundaries. I don't offer to sponsor people. I wait for them to ask me. Um, you know, I may not be the right sponsor for them. That could be awkward. Um, I always want people to feel welcome at meetings, but I, I don't rush up and, and, um, and offer. Um, sponsoring allows me to really, as I'm saying things, I sort of see things in a new way. Um, it's also just a privilege to witness people's recovery, um, you know, sort of see God in action. And as was mentioned earlier, it's also an opportunity for me to practice rigorous honesty. This is a relationship. It gets built up over, you know, days and months and weeks. We're going to irritate each other. Um, you know, things are going to go on and that we're going to need to, to take um, a look at. And so I get to do that on a daily basis. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is I was told that, you know, to keep it, I need to give it away. And I really feel like a lot of the pain I experienced in, in my disease sort of being rinsed off and cleaned, um, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's a, a wonderful thing to sponsor, so thanks. Before the last panelist comes up, I want to um, make sure the Ask It Basket is getting around. Um, everyone has a chance to put in a question, and then if it could work its way back up here by the end of the next speaker, that would be great. So now, Jerry. My name is Jerry, and I'm a food addict. Hi, Jerry. Hi. And the reason I say food addict is because, for me, uh, it gives me that extra definition that helps me define my disease because I can forget. And so, anyway, I'm just, it's such a privilege, like Deirdre said, such a privilege to be here. And the privilege is that I get to be with people who are like me and who are courageous. I consider myself courageous, and I certainly consider yourself courageous, especially if you're in this room right now, because it means you're trying to learn how to help others in this program. And um, for a long time, I didn't do that. I came into, uh, my story is a little bit different. Um, I came into OA initially in like 1977. And uh, after trying everything, my eating started, I mean, I was conscious of my overweight by about three or four years old. I knew I was different from my family. Um, I knew that I couldn't seem to control my eating. I was a secret eater from a very early age. And uh, it seemed as though fear ruled my life. From a very young age, I was afraid my parents were going to get a divorce because they argued, argued, argued. I was afraid that uh, we were going to lose our business because I heard, you know, I had big ears as a little child and I heard all the, uh, the news. I was afraid that we would lose our house. I was afraid that I would be fat like my aunt and my grandmother. And uh, I, I just fear was just so much a part of my life. And as I look back, I really see that there was trembling. The fear actually manifested itself in trembling. Um, not physically, no one ever said, boy, you're shaking out there. But inside, I felt this tremendous uh, trembling, like something was going to go terribly wrong. 
And, the, and I found from an early age that if I ate food, it somehow quelled that trembling. And, uh, but then when I started to gain weight, and who, who was here last night and saw the, um, the skit, the dramatic, oh, wasn't she good, wasn't she good? And I just could identify totally with that uh, about, um, you know, the light going out of my mother's eyes as I gained more and more weight, you know. And finally, um, I did go to a fat farm. That's how my mother, you know, Scarlett O'Hara, I will never be fat again. And so she helped me and got some money together and sent me to a fat farm. And I, that started my yo-yoing. And uh, I would go to doctors from a very young age. They would give me a diet. I would fail. So diets to me were total opportunities for failure. And I, and I was convinced that I was weak-willed and there was no hope for me. And, uh, but I had been introduced to OA when I was about 18. And the, I just went to one meeting. And I thought it was so bizarre, they held hands and prayed afterward. I thought, this is weird. This is not Weight Watchers. And so I didn't go back. But then a seed was planted. And so when I got so desperate after being married, can you believe that Deirdre's been married for 20 years? <laughs> she looks like she's 22. Anyway. Um, so, but after I was married, and I got, because, you know, once you get the man, then you can start gaining weight again. I mean, I, I went through the whole thing over and over and over again. Anyway, uh, and I was desperate. I was totally desperate. I was binging my brains out. And so, anyway, that little seed, oh, Overeaters Anonymous, and it's free. Okay, so you have to pray. So, <laughs> but so I went to a meeting. I got a sponsor right away. I got abstinent right away. Those were the days when they handed you the gray sheet. And all my sponsor said was, um, follow this uh, sheet, and if you feel like eating more, pray. And I did. And I lost all my weight. And then, uh, you know, I was still very confused about the program because I'd only taken, like, the first three steps, and I never went into the inventory. We moved, you know, so I got off track, and I eventually left OA, gained my weight back, came back to OA. I mean, I did that. I'm one of those. You know, I relapsed my way to recovery, I like to say, <laughs> one day, for today anyway. And uh, I, I'm here to say that it does, it does happen. It can happen if you're like me and have that pattern of going out, coming back, going out. Because I was always looking for the easier, softer way. I was always, you know, okay, this diet and uh, or this. I remember I got into a metaphysical period of life where I was going to manifest my own reality. And anyway, um, that didn't work out so well. So... Uh, but I did come back, and the thing that brought me back in earnest was the death of my mom. My mom had been an exuberant, vital, creative, active, powerful human being. And this disease took her to her bed, to her deathbed. Uh, she got diabetes. She had yeah, yeah, all kinds of uh, um consequences from her disease and I could see myself right there 
I, I, I said, you know, if a woman with so much willpower, so much power, so much uh, energy could end up like this, I certainly could. And so that's when I came back to OA knowing that this disease could kill. And uh, so I got a sponsor. And um, the, that's the first step in being a sponsor, is to get a sponsor. <laughs> and uh, I was very choosy about my sponsor. I, I knew that I had to have somebody who uh, was not focused on the food. This is just for me. Because I had beat myself up for so many years about the food, I knew that I had to have somebody that was willing to work with me. And all my sponsor did was uh, was uh, shove me to, um, not this book, but uh, the Overeaters Anonymous book where uh, they define uh, abstinence as, uh, you know, not eating between planned meals, doesn't even give a number, uh, staying away from binge foods. And I thought, well... Okay, what am I willing to do? Okay, I'm willing to, uh, you know, I made a list of my binge foods, and I must say, I wasn't willing right away to stay away from all my binge foods. So I would just kind of take them one at a time. Well, white sugar, white flour, okay. I'm willing to stay away from that. And then that, I could see, well, using the program, and uh, gee, this, this is working. And then I was willing to say, okay, no fried foods or I was, you know, no pizza. I mean, I was willing to just one little thing at a time, one little step at a time. And I could see some um, some success in that, not in a diet sense, but in that the program was really working. I wasn't white-knuckling it. My sponsor was giving me, uh, was using um, the uh, workbook. And this is a tool that I use, too. And uh, she was using the workbook, and we were just going through it. And I had structure, and I have avoided structure all of my life. So this was, I I remember I had an editor one time, and she would say, "Uh, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. And I just picked that right up. Oh, that's me, okay. And I just kind of, that was my mantra. And to have structure, though, was, was new, but it was doable. My sponsor wasn't, you know, uh, she she was, uh, if I didn't get the assignment right on time, you know, she'd work with me. She'd work with me. And she just kept steering me to the steps, the steps and the tools and the steps and the tools. And I, and she had what I wanted. She had peace. She had serenity. She had joy. She used the principles of the program to deal with everyday, you know, challenges, and I wanted that. So she had what I wanted, and I was willing to follow her lead. So um, let me see here. I just don't want to. Uh, I took the first three steps using this, and uh, then we moved on to the um, inventory. And I found this awesome format for an inventory, and I, I made some copies if you'd like to uh, share it. And what you do is you take a three-ring binder and you put them like that. And what it is, it's at six columns. And you first do the um, the name of the person, institution, or principal with whom you were angry or resentful. And that's what I discovered, that I was really eating out of anger, resentment, fear, you know, all those things. That's what was causing me to eat. So, 
And it was mostly about my parents. Oh, my gosh, I totally lived in the past. So once I did this, it, it was a gentle, very gentle way to take me from resentment to um, responsibility. Very gentle, very gentle way to see my part in it, to see my character defects. And plus, it's, it's, it's like four, five, six, and seven by the time I So I thought it was a very economical way to do the steps, too. And then I also have uh, people I sponsor do a fear inventory and a sex inventory. And this is all taken out of the big book of AA. This is, there's six columns. Even though the big book has three columns, they talk about the other three. So, so I just put it in this format. The fear inventory, the sex inventory, then the character defect, uh, six and seven steps. And what I do is um, have them write down the character defect the benefits that they're getting out of it, what, what they're getting out of holding on to, like I was in a forgiveness writing uh, workshop earlier, it was so good, and the benefit of holding on to unforgiveness, the benefit of holding on to resentment toward people, uh, the cost, what it was costing me, what it cost them, and I go through this with my sponsees, just sit down and sometimes my sponsees just we just do it together. It's kind of like we do it together, and it it benefits me as well. And then the last two columns are act as if, act as if I don't have that character defect. What would it feel like if I didn't have that? What would I act like if I didn't have that? Would how would things be different? And that gives that gives them, and it certainly gave me. Just a, a new comfort zone, because I was just operating out of the old, you know, tapes for so long that it was scary to even think about another way of life. And so this gave me a little practice. Okay, just act as if. Act as if I'm not resentful. What does that feel like? Act as if I'm not angry. Act as if I'm not jealous. Act as if I'm not uh, self-conscious. Act as if I'm not self-centered, selfish. So anyway, that's that's what's been very, very helpful to me, those formats and that structure. And uh, I needed that. Anyway, I also use the AA Big Book. Uh, to me, this is the most powerful, uh, one of the most powerful spiritual volumes ever written. I mean, as far as uh, effect on my life. And I use, of course, the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of OA and of AA as well. And I use pamphlets and things like that. Um, one of the things in the steps six and seven that my sponsor gifted me with was the ability to notice without judgment. And she would just say, um, oh, I noticed that uh, X, Y, Z. And it wasn't like, well, I see that you're doing... It was, I, I noticed this, and um, so I, I have developed that ability to just notice when I'm blowing it, rather than take out the baseball bat and beat myself up. And that's what I encourage people I sponsor to do, too. Just notice it without judging it. And one of the gals that I sponsor gave me a wonderful, uh, and I'll wrap up with this, gave me a wonderful uh, phrase. I love word pictures. And she told me that when she's uh, agitated or upset, 
that she rides the wave. And so when I'm noticing, it's just like, okay, I'm floating. I'm riding the wave. I'm just noticing, oh, that's a character defect. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Here we go. And I'm just riding the wave. And, and I relax. It's just something to notice. If I start judging myself and beating myself up, it's like I'm going against the tide and I'll never get over the wave. But anyway, my sponsor, my the people that I sponsor give me such wonderful, wonderful, um, just capacity to understand and to enjoy my program and to feel like I'm contributing. But they're contributing so much more to me. I can't tell you. I encourage everyone to sponsor. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, okay, we now are going to um, draw from the Ask It Basket for up to 15 minutes. <coughs> what do you do when Sponsi has problems that you have no experience with? If, if a sponsor is having a problem uh, with something that I don't have experience with, the first thing I would do is talk to my sponsor about it, which is also why the anonymity is a really nice situation that my sponsor has no idea who I'm talking about. Um, so I, I would use that as a resource. Um, sometimes also what I'll do is if they're, if they're having an experience that I can remember hearing about from somebody else, um, I might call and find out if, or ask them, would you be interested in talking to somebody else, you know, in program who, you know, maybe has that same experience and, you know, try and connect those, those people in a way. Um, I also refer them to the literature. Um, I refer them to their higher power. You know, kind of what's their, what's their, what's their instinct about it. Um, so those would be the, the couple of things that come to mind. You Um, when I uh, have that circumstance where somebody I'm sponsoring, uh, I don't really have any experience with what they're going through, um, I really do encourage them to pray and to write about it. And for me, it's been very, very helpful to, uh, to have a journal and ask the question, ask the same question to God and or whoever their higher power is, whoever they're comfortable with saying their higher power is. And... Um, just ask the question and then uh, write down what they think the answer is and then we'll talk about it. But it's a great way of directing them toward relying on their higher power rather than uh, me or just me, or, but also that, that's great. I, sometimes I uh, discuss always with uh, anonymity um, with my uh, sponsor too and that's been very helpful. themes here. Um, so one area seems to do, have to do with finding a sponsor. So one question is, do you sponsor men? So I think that's 
basically do you sponsor someone of the opposite gender? Uh, when I get someone asking if I would sponsor them, the first thing they ask is, how old are you? I'm only 22, and it would seem like I'm too young. Um, over and over, what suggestions do you have for a young person getting um, a sponsor? And uh, when there are no sponsors within a 75-mile radius, how do you find one? I don't sponsor men. I don't. I only sponsor within my own gender. Um, uh, in terms of finding a sponsor, I think taking the youth question. Um, I always. I actually was pretty um, persnickety when I first got into program, and I only wanted somebody who had you know X number of years, you know, et cetera. And somebody pointed out to me, Deirdre, a little humility. This person has you know maybe one month more than you do, but. She's got one month than you do. So, I mean, we each have something to offer. So, you know, it's sort of a matter of, you know, do you have what this person wants, regardless of your age? I do look young for my age, and so people might think, well, what the heck does she know? Um, or she doesn't look like she's ever been fat. What the heck does she know? You know, and so I think, you know, you can, you can just sort of stop that by asking, you know, does this person have what I want? Um, and if so, ask them how it was achieved, and I think that's really what sponsorship is all about. Um, and there's a quality to listening, and, and a, we all have such a different perspective. I, I don't really think it matters if somebody's young or has, you know, if, 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 if I, I, I would be happy to have a sponsor who has fewer years in the program as long as they had the quality of, of, of uh, recovery that I was looking for. As far as finding a sponsor, um, I would encourage people to just keep asking, be persistent, and don't drop out of the program. Um, also, I, rem I recommend uh, certain sponsors that I know to people that ask me. Um, and as far as um, um, sponsoring opposite sex, uh, I mainly sponsor men, and um, but there's been a case where um, I sponsored a woman that, you know, um, was lesbian, and we had, there was no sexual attraction or any of that. And I also had a sponsor who was an older woman, a motherly type, and uh, that worked out just fine. So, um, you know, there's sponsors out there. Uh, just keep looking. Um, here's another set. Uh, I am a brand new sponsor. How do you ensure that experience, strength, and hope don't always turn into a story about you? <laughs> what happens if you find yourself in a situation when you are between sponsors and you are asked to sponsor? Is it right to sponsor them while you are still in between sponsors? And please talk about sponsees who use more than one sponsor and result in conflicts with how to work the steps and maintain abstinence from compulsive overeating.
tackled the first couple, which is um, if you're new, how do you have it not be a story about you? Um, I guess um, I take a cue from my own sponsor who she just lets me talk and talk and talk and talk. And then at the end, she'll say, okay, do you want me to tell you what I think? And of course, by then I'm thinking, yes, you know. So, um, you know, so I will use that sometimes if I'm feeling like I want to, like, oh, yeah, that happened to me, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, d I notice that, and it's just an awareness, and I will just wait um, until she's sort of spun herself out and she's said everything, you know. It's really her time. And a lot of times, I mean, I think it, the, the point of the call is just for her to unload all the things maybe she, you know, needed to sort out. And I don't need to say anything. So I might have a lot of relevant experience, but um, it, it's not necessary to share at that particular moment. Um, and there was another one. Um, oh, um, in terms of sponsoring while you're in between sponsors, I wouldn't, for me, I wouldn't do that, only because I feel like, I need to be anchored. I want somebody who's one phone call away for me so that I just, I wouldn't feel a level of comfort, but I think that's an individual choice, you know. Um, so that's just my thought. Um, the one about if you have more than one sponsor, that hasn't happened. I mean, I have a lot of friends in the program that uh, I do call from time to time other than my sponsor. Um, I think it would be rather confusing, though, to have uh, two people sponsoring you who had conflicting views, which, of course, that would be a, a natural thing to happen. But I think I would make a choice and go with the person that, who has what you want more than the other person. That's just my, my uh, perspective. As far as having more than uh, one sponsor, um, I was a dual sponsor for this uh, person and um, it didn't really run into any conflict that I could see. The other sponsor worked with the steps, and uh, I just basically sponsored the person um, on you know what was going on in their life and all, and and, and I guess uh, I was more of a friend. So uh, anyhow, that that didn't seem to be a problem uh, in my situation anyway. Thanks. All right. Um, Here's another group of questions. What do you do when sponsees still want to call you but aren't using other tools? They're not going to meetings on a regular basis, not calling others, not writing. What do you say to a sponsee that's who slips? What do you do? What do you say to a sponsee who keeps slipping? Um, what can I do when I'm heading for that first compulsive bite. In other words, how do I stop eating? And what about care confrontations with sponsee who is not working steps or um, or and or is gaining or losing weight? 
I'll, I'll tackle the one about what to do uh, if a sponsee is calling you and not working the other steps. Um, I make a lot of outreach calls. I take a lot of calls. So, so that doesn't bother me, um, you know, if, if a sponsee is, um, you know, calling me. Um, well, I guess uh, let me put it another way. Um, if, if the sponsee is, is not working the steps, um, not working the tools, and is only call, calling me, um, I just don't think that's going to be a you know long-term viable sort of solution. So I, um, I'm probably not sponsoring them on a day-to-day -day basis any longer, but I'm probably just that's probably an outreach call. Um, in you know, in which case I always return them when I have an opportunity. But um, I keep a space open for somebody and that commitment to talk with them 15 minutes a day, assuming that they're willing, um, you know, to use the tools and work the steps. That doesn't mean they have to be abstinent. I've had sponsors before who, um, you know, they're going to meetings, they're writing, they're doing all these different things, but they're still, you know, flipping. And um, I will work with them up to the point where I feel like I don't really have anything else to share. You know, I don't really know, what, you know, where else to go at this point. Um, but I'll always direct them to their higher power. I'll always direct them to picking up the phone and calling another person. Um, you know, going to a meeting. Go to a meeting every day. Uh, bookend your your um, your meals so that you know. Call somebody before and tell them you know that you're committing to eating an abstinent meal. Call somebody after um, to say that you have. I mean, I'll, I'll encourage them to get all the support that they need for themselves. I can't do all of that. None of us can keep another person abstinent, nor can we wreck another person's program, you know. So, um, so those are just some of the thoughts I had on that. Um, the one about uh, what do you do if your sponsee slips? Uh, I just, I read an article a while back by uh, Dr. Silkworth, who was a a uh, great friend of AA and helped tremendously get that program off the ground. And in 1947, he wrote an article for the uh, AA uh, Grapevine. And he talked about slips. And he said, and I pass this along to those who I sponsor, and it's been so true in my life. He said, it's just like other diseases. When you stop doing what works, in recovery, like say if you had heart problems and you you went to your doctor and your doctor said, okay, stop the smoking, change your diet, get some exercise, yada, da, yada, da, yada, da. And so you did all those things and you felt good. And uh, so pretty soon your disease, your heart disease gets on the back burner and you start being complacent about walking or getting your exercise. You start being not so comfortable about what, uh, not so careful about what you eat and so you start um, doing things that don't uh, keep you uh, healthy. And it's just like that, to me, it's just like that with compulsive overeating. If I stopped uh, going to the meetings and calling my sponsor and writing and working the steps and, and all that, I would uh, slip too. So we kind of go back to, okay, well, what were you doing before that worked, and what did you stop doing? So we kind of, you know, investigate a little bit about what pattern had changed. You know, one other thing that I, I, I want to mention is um, 
I was taught that, you know, there's a, a thought that comes before the bite. And so often, I, I forgot to say this, I will ask the sponsee to write about, well, what was going on when that happened, right before that happened? And, you know, inevitably, there's some big emotional thing that sort of wasn't addressed. They, you know, some feelings, some set of feelings that were just too uncomfortable to sit with. And so, you know, as a compulsive overeater, my first reaction would be to take that bite. And so, you know, what what was going on? And so often we'll talk about that, and, and they'll write about that, which may be helpful in uh, preventing, you know, future slips. So. Well, we have another set of questions. Um, I think this has to do with um, balancing time. Uh, how do you balance time schedules that change dramatically? I guess that's between sponsor and sponsee. What are reasonable expectations for a sponsor time-wise? I really like my sponsor and her experience, strength, and hope, but she is often so unavailable and I feel uh, right now I need her more than she has time for me. And please talk about spending face-to-face -face time working the steps with a sponsor and sponsee as opposed to email and phone work. Um, as far as um, I prefer to meet face-to-face -face with uh, sponsees and that seems to work out best for me um, and uh, I usually do that with with uh, my sponsor too, but I have, uh, you know, worked with people over the phone, and um, it's it's not as personal, and you, you don't get their uh, undivided attention. So, um, if possible, I like to do it face to face. Um, as far as finding time in our schedules to uh, work work out uh, meetings. Um, we just get together and, and see what's a good time, and then you know I try to make sure that uh, that person sticks with uh, with their scheduled time. Thank you. When it comes to time schedules, we are negotiating all the time. You know, people's schedules change, mine changes, my, my schedule changes. Uh, so it's just a constant negotiation. I, um, most of the time it's a set time and uh, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes is good. Uh, I try to get together with them personally once a week and I try to get together with my sponsor personally once a week. Um, I need that face-to-face -face, um, relationship. Uh, I don't do email. Pray for me. I wish I could, but that's uh, something that I... Is there a 12-step program out there, out there for people like me? Uh, so, anyway, that's, that's what works for me, is to negotiate and to have set times as well. In terms of face-to-face, -face, I have sponsored people who live out of state, so you know the only contact that we've had is on the phone. Um, but I prefer to sponsor people 
locally um, so that I can have face-to-face -face contact um, and, you know, get together and meet. Um, I would say the lion's share, though, of, of the sponsoring that I do is on the phone, so, you know, even for folks who are local because it's dedicated every single day, you know, up until they kind of get, you know, oriented. Um, and in terms of balancing the times, what's worked for me is to figure out what works for me. Um, you know, what times can I really commit to being there? And I have had situations before where, you know, there, there will be a sponsor whose schedule just, you know, completely changes. And, you know, we, we really are not able to find a time. And, and so I just, you know, will continue working with them until they're able to find another sponsor that can, you know, better accommodate that regular time. Having said that, I mean, we make adjustments for vacation. We make adjustments for summer. It, it has rarely come to that. That's only been, you know, somebody's now on night shift or, you know, some big, you know, enormous change in schedule. Um, but I've just learned enough that trying to, you know, rejigger my schedule, um, to, there's a breaking point where it just doesn't work for me anymore. And so I've learned how to set some boundaries and say, I give, you know, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and I think the face-to-face -face time is also really important because then you get to see sponsees and they get to see you in meetings. Um, they get to see you doing service. I mean, there's something really nice about just being in each other's presence. So. Um, I think there was one question that didn't get answered about finding a um, sponsor when you can't find one within 75 mile radius. Um, if anyone has, did you answer that one? No. Okay. the non-computer person trying to answer this question. I know that doesn't OA have like a website and, okay, I'm asking you out there. Isn't that, don't, okay, yes, I, people are nodding for those of you listening to this. Yes, OA, if you go on the website, Google Overeaters Anonymous and, and you can get uh, resources, you can get sponsors and you can have whole meetings online, you can, right? Okay. Okay. Um, I'll just add, I think stocking is really good. Um, you know, that it's, you know, really, uh, you know, you find somebody who has what you want and then you, you just periodically ask them, you know, are you available? Do you have a spot available? Any chance you might have, you know, anyway, you get the point. But also what I do, I listen to a lot of phone meetings and so at the end of the phone meetings, they will have a time when people who are available can, can, you know, give their name and number out. And even though I've had the same sponsor for two and a half years, every time I write that down, I have a little entry in my phone that just the last name is OA and the first name is sponsor, and I will put down the name and telephone number so that when people ask me and I'm not available or they ask, do you know of anybody, you know, that's a way that I can do service. I may not know some of these folks, and I'm just telling them, hey, I heard this person, you know, Monica in New Jersey is available. Why don't you call her? Um, so... Yeah, I'll try and share that information as well. Um, so I think the phone meetings for people who are in an isolated area or just geographically can't find a sponsor in their area, it's an excellent way um, to do that. And you can find all the information on the phone meetings at uh, OA.org. There's a list to note them. Uh, I would add that this is a wonderful place to find a sponsor too. Um, 
especially if you go to the uh, marathon meeting, so you get to hear a lot of people pitch. Um, so you can maybe find someone who has what you want. Um, and then um, also another question that um, I kind of hear, I hear a lot, and I know you all sponsor differently. Some people use two sponsors, a food sponsor and a step sponsor, and other people just have one sponsor for both. So if any of you would like to share about that, that might be of interest. I sponsor both, um, and often I'm the same person that uh, uh, that does the steps that sponsor is their person's food sponsor, and that seems to work. But uh, I encourage uh, people to, you know, have a food sponsor, and sometimes I'm that's all I do is is uh, the food sponsoring. But uh, I believe they go hand in hand, and uh, you need to do both. Thanks. Um, I do both as well, although in the in the beginning of my program I had a step sponsor and I had a separate food sponsor. And that I know that came up earlier. That seemed to work fine because they didn't they didn't get in each other's way. I didn't talk about food with my step sponsor. And my food sponsor didn't have time to really take me through the steps. Um, I like to do both, although a lot of my sponsees over time have gotten involved in step study groups, um, and so it's not just a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And then I support them by, you know, answering questions, share, you know, taking their um, uh, fifth step, giving them some guidance on maybe how they might want to approach their fourth step, um, you know, some of the worksheets that you that you saw earlier as well. So. Um, I think there are a lot of resources for working the steps, and, and sometimes people, as a sponsor, they just don't have time to do one-on-one, -on -one, so there are you know, group ways to do that as well, um, but I do both. Okay, it is now time to close the session. Let's thank the speakers and all of them for this. Um, please stand and join hands as we close the meeting with the third step prayer.